Welcome to Genesis Community Church. If you are new, very glad that you're here. You picked a great Sunday. <clears throat> we talk about the resurrection at Genesis a lot, uh, not just once a year, not just, uh, not just at this time. We've actually been in the Gospel of John for quite some time now, and so you, if you've been around, you've seen it. If you haven't been around, this is a good Sunday to be here because this is, this is what makes us who we are. And so we talk about the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, and all of these have to come together for us to be able to declare week after week and moment by moment that we are free indeed, that there is life in Christ. You can't have any one of these events in isolation for you to have any of the significance that comes. Otherwise, if Jesus had just died, he would have just been a martyr like many others, maybe a political martyr, somebody who died because he was trying to seek change. Had he only like, been buried, again, not much there. You need death, burial, resurrection for this moment here today to matter. And maybe you're here this morning and you're sometimes in church life, other times not, not really sure what your story might be, but I can tell you one thing I'm bad at, very bad at it, is answering the question, how am I doing? I don't know if you ever feel the same level of pressure when somebody goes, how are you doing? I'm like, do, do you, are you honest or do you lie? Do you, do you say how you're actually doing? And I know everyone's like, Hans, it's just a cultural pleasantry. Nobody cares how you're doing. They just want you to say fine and move on. Like it's just the contract that we're in as Americans, they're disinterested in, in your real answer, but I'll, like, I'll ponder it. And one of the things that's true, and maybe it's true for you too today, is that I'm often uh, a little beaten down. I'm just a little wearied. There's something on my mind that I'm worried about. There's something consuming my thoughts. I'm worried about what's going on with my kids. Every time I go out of town, one of my kids throws up. So then I, you know, I, I was talking to even my wife this week. I said, if I get a text and it's at a random time when I'm not in town, I know it's going to be about a sick child. So that's just like, Lord, keep my, keep my kids healthy, do this, do that. It's, just, it's always what happens. I'm thinking about, well, how are we going to pay for this? Or how are we going to do that? Or what's going to happen here? And, and so you get here on a Sunday and you see people like raising their hands. They're really glad to be here. They're really excited. And you might wonder sometimes like I do, like what do they know that I don't? Like what, what's going on? Like how come they can be so glad to be here? And like I had to get dragged here. I had to, I, the, the church has to pay me to get here. That's not true. And so, so we have all of these thoughts on, on, on like this, this, this is important, right? Showing up on Easter and wearing a suit. That's what you're supposed to do. But again, you think about just what's gone on all week. And you might feel like you're treading water and you're waiting for test results. You're wondering how your family's doing. And if you have, you know, many progeny, you're always thinking about them. Kids, grandkids, it doesn't matter what age your kids are. If you're a parent, you're always thinking about how they are. They could be 55. You're going, man, man I really hope they grow up. And even I, I think about my prayer life over the past week or two, and how many other things I'm thinking about while I'm praying? You ever, you ever been there where you're just like, you're praying, 
But like, it's, it's like you have two tracks. Like there's the things you want to be praying, and then there's the things you're actually thinking about. And over here, you're thinking about just mundane things. You're like, okay, I got to get this done. I got to get that done. And then you're like, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm kind of hungry. And so I live in these two tracks in my mind. I go, what is, what is going on? But I would guess that I'm not alone, right? That many of us have this kind of battle of like, I'm consumed with thoughts and worries and anxieties, and I wonder, and I just, I, I just always, I'm always wondering if I've done enough, if things are okay, if I've been responsible enough, if I've been kind enough, if I've been loving enough. And we can miss so many just opportunities to engage the Lord when we're so consumed with the things that we're thinking about. If that's you this morning, this is for you. If that's not you this morning and you just float everywhere you go, I would ask you to oblige the rest of us in a bit of recognition that how we feel can be so overwhelming for how our day goes. And we can learn from you later. But for now, we get to see how the resurrection changes people who are consumed with their own doubt or worry or anxiety, and we see this in the interaction between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. We see Mary, who is so worried about where the body of the Lord is. She is so consumed about what might be, and where is he? And if you were with us last week, you saw those interactions where the tomb is empty, and she doesn't know where the body of Jesus is, and Peter and John run to the tomb, and Peter looks in, he goes in, he doesn't he sees just burial cloths. John comes in. He believes. He recognizes that Jesus rose. But the disciples apparently go back. And maybe as they were running there, Mary just follows after. And so when they go back, she's there at the tomb again. If you're unfamiliar again with Mary, uh, who Mary is, she was one whom Jesus drove demons out of and who dedicated her life while he was on this earth to caring for her with a group of others, or caring for him and the disciples and providing for their needs and their means. And so we talked about how there's Jesus and the disciples, but there's this whole group of people around Jesus and the disciples who are ensuring that the ministry can go on, which is so much of just how life even works now, that we're often cheered on by so many other folks who don't get any of the glory, but they're there. And we're brought into this interaction in the morning on the first day of the week. And things begin to change in Mary's life as she encounters a risen Lord. And the things that overwhelmed her and consumed her mind and her heart are transformed in an instant when Jesus calls her name. So we will see two exchanges and the first is that for Mary, grief becomes joy. Grief becomes joy. Now remember, Mary is thinking about where the body of Jesus is. Where the body of Jesus is. The disciples go back to their homes, verse 10, and then verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, it, you might feel like, well, if I ever ran into an angel, I would probably recognize it was an angel. 
But when you're overcome with grief, they're just people. And if you see angelic encounters, even in the Old Testament, they often present as people. You're not even sure they're angelic. And so there they are at the tomb, and they're having this conversation. And she says, I want to know where Jesus is. They're asking her why she's weeping. They say, the Lord is, she says, the Lord is gone. Mary sees them, but she doesn't see. She's overwhelmed with her grief, and she's unsure of what is to come. Her grief becomes joy as she has this encounter. Having said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? You notice this is the second time she's gotten this question. And it's the second time that she's going to answer the question in this state of grief and sorrow. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So you have encounter number one with angels. Why are you weeping? They've taken the body of the Lord. I don't know where he is. And then Jesus is there. And as Jesus is there, woman, why are you weeping? And she goes, if you've taken him, if you've taken him, please let me know where you is. I'll take care of him. Give me the body. I will take care of the body. And you see Mary in this moment distraught over where Jesus is and trying to exert all the energy she can to secure the body and be sure that he's taken care of because she has no other way to respond. Now, have you ever been in that kind of moment that Mary was in where you're just consumed with something and you want to do the right thing and so you just think, I'll do whatever it takes. Like, show, Give me the body. I'll take care of the body. Can you imagine Mary, let alone anybody, trying to take care of a dead body? I, I would assume the body of Jesus was heavier than the body of Mary's. And yet even in this moment, she's so short, you just let me know where he is, I'll take the body. We're not even asking the question, how? How will you take the body? Are you going to carry him? Are you going to get people to tend to him? Like She's not even worried about that. But if you've ever been consumed with something, then you know, just, just, just let me take control. Let me handle it. Let me do it. I'm sure everything will be fine. A question for us. Christian, non-Christian today, wherever you might be, maybe you're curious about Jesus. Maybe you've been following him for some time. Maybe you know, I don't really follow the Lord, and I'm not that interested in him, but I'm obliging friends and family by showing up on Sunday because it makes mom happy. If so, glad you're here too. But have you ever missed the Lord because you're comprehending the situation in the completely wrong way? You're thinking about life and whatever's consuming you. It's like my prayer life where I'm going over here with a bunch of stuff. I have all these things I want to pray, but really my mind and my heart are just stirring on something else. If I'm in my right mind, what I start to do is just pray about the things that are consuming my mind and heart and bringing those before God. But sometimes I just try and fight that battle, and it goes nowhere. But have you ever been so overwhelmed with life 
so grieved by what's going on, whatever it might be. And it can be incredibly noble, can't it? You could want to be sure that your children are taken care of, your grandchildren are taken care of, and you become so committed to that. And the Lord comes beside you and tells you this is not your battle to fight. That they're His. And you're like, I don't know who you are, man, but you don't know my kids. You don't know what they do. You don't know how crazy they are. You don't know, it, like, if I'm not watching them all the time, everything might fall off the rails. I'm going, Jesus is like, they're 70. Not sure how you're much more worried you want to be, but when life can't keep up and you only wonder how you're going to get through, when you're, when you're year even, April, the year hasn't broken your way and you wonder where the Lord is. You were so sure by this time in your career, your life, you were going to be in a certain spot and you're not. And you wonder if you've missed the Lord. But here is all it takes for all of those consuming emotions to be transformed. And it's just one word. It's Jesus calling your name. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In that moment when her name is called, everything changes. She knows who he is, and she sees him, and all the worry that she had about where is Jesus, and where is the body, and what's going on, and where have you taken it, the angels and the, the, the gardener who are there, all the things that she had previously thought are out the window when her name is called. Now, if you have been with us in the Gospel of John, then you know this is actually something Jesus has already said. In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. His voice is present, and it's personal. Jesus calls us by name. And when he calls us by name, and we hear his voice, what do we do? We go. We go. My question for you this morning is, have you heard the voice of Jesus call your name? Or have you been so consumed, like all of us are, with where your life is and what's going on and what you can't get right, what you need to get right, and what's wrong, and all your sin, and all your shame, and all the things that can overwhelm you, and it takes one call of your name by the Lord Jesus and all of those things change because you've now heard him. Maybe you're here even this morning and things just are not going the way that you thought they would. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering why you haven't gotten that promotion. You're wondering why people treat you the way that they do. You're wondering why your relationships are strained and you're spending all of your time and all of your energy working to try and make those things right rather than recognizing that perhaps Jesus was there 
beside you the entire time. And he's been calling your name and calling you to life. Are you tired of trying to live life in your own strength? Trying to live life with your own energy? Trying to control everything you can control? Because I promise it doesn't work well. You can control as much as you want. Still doesn't work well. I mean, anybody who drives knows this. It's like, oh, no, I trust myself driving. I just don't trust all the other drivers. Well, you know, every other driver is saying that about you because you're the other driver in that scenario. So many more people feel that you're a bad driver than feel you're a good one. Just think about that. We're always trying to control the world and know what's going on and know what's up and know what's down and know what's right and have an answer for everything. That was Mary before this call of her name. I need to know where the body is. I need to handle it. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are hyper vigilant in life. And you try to take care of everything for everyone. And you want to ensure that everything can be taken care of because if not, you're not being faithful. But here's the secret, or even, you know, that you don't want to say, but we both know is that you're not taking care of everything. You're taking care of some corner of the world that you can call your kingdom, but Jesus calls us to come and die. And notice that at that moment and at that call, Mary is not concerned about what, it ha- not concerned about what happened previously. She's not concerned about how foolish she looked when the angels saw her and she missed them. She's not concerned about the fact that Jesus was right there and she thought he was the gardener. She's not embarrassed. Why? Because she's found the Lord. And it is the answer that it doesn't even answer every other question. It just makes the other questions obsolete. You hear the voice of Jesus. I would tell you, if you are not a Christian this morning, receive the gift of salvation and enter into his joy. It is better to live life with Jesus than to try and live it on your own and be fooling us all. Recognize him as the one who died for your sin. Hear his call, and that call is a call to die, but who cares at that point in time when the Lord's calling you? Great. No better place to be. Now, I love what happens as as we pivot. She's seen the Lord. She knows he's now who he is. He has called her name, and she has responded. And she has resurrected eyes. And in this moment, Jesus gives her truth and a mission. So in the same way that her mourning or her grief turns to joy. Her mourning becomes a mission. Not M-O-R-N, M-O-U-R-N. Her sadness now takes on a mission because Jesus has work for her to do. And this is the same thing that even happens in our salvation is that we're called to Christ and we respond to him and then we're calling others into it. We're given the commission to go and tell. And that's exactly what happens here. 
Look at verse 17. We learn something happened in this moment that the text doesn't tell us until verse 17. And he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. No, no, that's great, because when she sees him, clearly she latches on. It's like when my kids see grandma, and it's like, right, they're done. I don't even exist anymore. She heard the voice of the Lord, and she responds, and she grabs on. Why? Because in her mind, because she's still learning just as we are, she doesn't want to lose him again. And her thought to, how do I not lose him, is let me just hold on to him. And if I would hold on to him, then he'll never leave my sight again. That's what she does in this moment. But Jesus is not satisfied with her latching on because he has things for her to do. And he has work to do. So don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended, which is coming in these next 40 days. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. I said there's a truth and a mission. I'm going to talk about one other thing as well. And the truth is Jesus still has to ascend. Death burial, resurrection, ascension. You go, Hans, how many more things are you going to add on to the list of things Jesus has to do? Well, he still has to return. That's coming. But we're not there yet. But he goes to the Father because throughout the Gospel of John, he has said the Spirit is coming. And so he ascends so the Spirit can come, and we read about that on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. But in this moment, don't cling to me, I have yet to ascend, rather Go and tell. Now look at the language that he uses. But go to my brothers and say to them. You may not have caught this, but the resurrection is changing the relationship that we have with the Lord. Go to my brothers. Jesus has had disciples, apostles, people who are sent out with delegated authority, it, uh, it late in Jesus' ministry, he calls them his friends. But now we get another relational rung. And that rung is brothers. And the gift is sonship. That's a phenomenal blessing that comes because of what the resurrection does. Go tell my brothers. If you remember all the way back to, I think it was December 2021, which I know it's hard for us to remember last week. So December 21 is going to be a little hard. But we have this in John. For all who did believe, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the language. He gave the right to become children of God. Well, here we have Jesus in a resurrection encounter now saying, Tell my brothers. Tell my brothers. I don't think we realize. I mean, it's like my three boys, they get along pretty well most of the time. I'm going to say it's because of the seriousness of my prayer life about it, but that's probably not, that's probably not the case. 
They get along pretty well most of the time. They might be arguing right now. If so, please behave. But I don't think we often think about the fact that we're called together as a family, and the language of the New Testament now becomes much more familial from here on out, and even the writers of the epistles are talking to the churches as brothers and sisters, and there's family, and Paul, the apostle, is talking about this care for churches, and he cares for them like children. All of this language becomes familial in ways that the culture of that time would have bucked against. Because the culture of that time was all about the immediate family unit. And the resurrection changed that. And now anybody who's called has Jesus as their older brother. And they're called together with others as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now look at the language. Go and tell my brothers, I am ascending, and look at what he says now. I am ascending to my Father and to your Father. To my God and to your God. That the relationship has changed, even in how Jesus speaks about it, now that the resurrection is a reality. God is our Father. So there's a truth, there really is a new relationship that exists now. The family of God. Those who belong to God by faith in Jesus, recognizing what he's done, who have been called by him, and who are brothers and sisters together. And that gift of sonship is so rich because it can't be taken away. To be in the family of faith. It can't be taken away. It can't be ripped away. We have God as our father and Jesus as our elder brother forever. And it's the resurrection that ensures it. Now Mary, who would be holding on to Jesus, and he's saying, don't cling to me, and he's trying to take perhaps her arms off of him. And you go, why would you do that? Because she has something to do. Because you now can't change the relationship. It's not about proximity to the resurrected Jesus. It's about the reality that has come by faith. Jesus has brothers, and they're not even there yet, right? Like, they haven't even seen him resurrected. And Jesus is always already declaring the relationship that they have. So she, he says to Mary, go tell the disciples that I am going to ascend. Mary goes... <laughs> She must be excited because she goes and she doesn't say that at first. The first thing she says is, I've seen the Lord. She had to get that part out. And then she goes, and he told me some things. And then she declares what he has said. But the first thing that she says is, I have seen the Lord. And you see this change from her grief, which was moments ago. This wasn't days or weeks. We're talking a minute. That's it. Because transformation happens like that. This didn't change Mary's life situation. This didn't change her income. This didn't change anything about where she was. But it changed everything that mattered. And who he was, risen, soon to be ascending, 
her older brother, with God as her father, became in that moment all that mattered. And she runs back to the disciples, and we know the stories of they don't all go, yay, he's back, let's all go. Like, like, there's a bit of a struggle there. They go back to work. You got Thomas, he's like, I don't think he's anybody, right? Like all these things start going on. But she runs and declares something, that she's seen him. And there is this inseparable part of our lives in Christ that when we see the Lord high and lifted up, we see him resurrected, that it becomes something that we talk about. It becomes something that we declare. Because there's no other message that matters. Now, I can do the same thing that you probably can, which is try and come up with cool secondary things to try and make people care about. We're very good at that. Because secondary things and tertiary things and all the way down the line, they don't get you killed. And they often might get you promoted. But in that moment of transformation where she knows who Jesus is and she's seen him, he's called her name. She goes, I've seen the Lord. And she declares what she has been told, which is also another great thing for those of you this morning who are in Christ and talk about evangelism and you feel overburdened by, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to somebody about Jesus. The great thing is, is he gives us the message. We, we don't have to do a thing except talk about it. We don't have to come up with fancy ways to talk about it. We don't have to try and like gussy it up. I know we don't, we don't use the word gussy it up anymore, but I'm harnessing my, my, my grandmother. We don't have to do anything like that. We just say, Jesus is alive. Jesus can transform. Jesus saves. We don't have to worry about the response to that. That's the Lord's. To all he is calling, they respond. And in that moment, if the call is not there, there isn't a response, and we can be okay with that. Why? Because we know that God is bigger and better and mightier than any kind of will or intense argumentation that we can try and have. He's better than all of those things. And so we go and we tell that the Lord is risen that our lives are changed because the Lord has risen. I have seen the Lord. Those three questions. The first, do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Perhaps calling your name? If so, I would love to talk to you. Faith is a gift of God. There's no work in that sense, that has to be done. God grants sonship to those who believe. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you recognize the status that comes from resurrection, the sonship that you get, that Jesus is your brother, that God is your father? That whatever your current family status, whatever your last name is, sorry for all the googers around. You're in a family that supersedes any of those families in Christ. That is stronger and more mighty, more powerful than any of those. 
And then thirdly, if you have heard his voice and you have recognized that status, will you declare that good news that Jesus is risen? Will you pray for those in your life who do not know him that God might grant you opportunities to talk about a risen Lord and how he transforms people? Will you speak of him when those opportunities arise? Not concerned about outcome and not concerned about status because the status that you already have as a son or daughter of the Lord is far better than any change in appearance or any change in status some earthly relationship might have with you. It is better to belong to the Lord. Do you hear Jesus? Do you recognize the status that comes from resurrection? And will you declare this good news.